welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. I've got a really big shoe for you today. Hans Casper sets is back to talk about the latest Google update and maximizing your content authority. Before we get into that, some of you may have seen in my emails, you're on the list, right? Or in my LinkedIn feed, that I've been pulling people together in my network for curated cocktail parties via Zoom. I'm curating the guest list, not the drinks, so I can match up people who have never met as best I can. I've done four of these so far. Each one has been different. They've all been a blast. It's not limited to folks in life science, and the discussions can include marketing, but we keep it casual, as we should at a cocktail party, and talk about things outside of work as well. And we've met some really interesting people who do a lot of cool stuff outside of work. So if you'd like to participate, send me an email, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com, or message me on LinkedIn, and I will get you set up. Now, let's learn about content authority with Hans Kaspersetz. Hans Kaspersetz is the CEO of Arteric, a healthcare marketing and branding agency. And this is our annual May get-together. Third year in a row we've done this. Hans, welcome back to LSMR. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be back, and it's good to be on the show again. So you always have a very data-driven approach, and we're going to talk a little bit about content authority, a recent Google update, and so on. So back up a little bit. Just tell us about Arteric and your general approach to marketing and branding. Yeah, thanks, Chris. So Arteric is a digital marketing agency focused on biotech and pharma brands. We've gotten into healthcare delivery in the last year, which has been really interesting. We come at the business from the software development side and data uh, analytics side. So we're software developers turned healthcare marketers. And so whenever we look at a communications challenge, we think about how, how can we apply software to this problem to be more effective, to engage a broader audience and to generate better results for our clients, you know, more revenue. And, you know, We've been really fortunate. We've helped our clients earn $110 billion in revenue in the last eight years. We helped one of our clients sell a brand for $14 billion, and we're involved in multiple major launches right now. So lots of experience, lots of interesting data coming through the pipeline. Yeah. So today's topic, content authority, something you mentioned to me a while back. First of all, tell people, what, in case they don't already know, what it is and why it's important. So when you're dealing with content that is considered your money or your life, which is almost anything in healthcare, whether it's you know content about an ankle joint for replacement or a knee joint, or it's a medical device, or it's a drug, or even healthcare delivery, Google holds that content to a higher standard than any other content on the web. And when I say other content, I mean like travel, spirits, apparel, all that stuff. The three things that we measure the content on are expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. Expertise is measured by who wrote the content. 
and whether or not they're qualified to write the content. So did you have a PhD write it? Did you have a doctor write it? A nurse? Do you have like uh, someone who's trained in medical writing generate your content? Authority is a measure of what is the technical correctness of your content and how well is it supported by primary research in, in the context of our kind of content. Oftentimes we're writing about the safety, efficacy, dosing, all sorts of those kinds of things in healthcare land. We're talking about how do you install an ankle joint? How do you install a knee joint? Those kinds of things. And those are all supported generally by clinical trials or some sort of research. So when we write content, the content that will often perform will have a very high authority rating and it's because we're supporting it with, with primary research. And then the trustworthiness is, is the brand that's bringing or publishing the content, a trustworthy source. So, you know, there's lots of blogs online and there's lots of really sort of low trust sources of content. Uh, and then there's really high trust sources. So you would take a pharmaceutical company, a medical device company, uh, really important advocacy groups, Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, Healthline, etc. Those are high trust sources. So when you take those three things together, you end up with a soup that sort of qualifies you to rank on a topic or not rank on a topic. And the stronger those three components are, the more likely your audience is to engage with your content because you end up with these behavioral signals, which is Someone searches for the topic, they see you in the search results, they click it, they get to your site, and then they stay for a while or they take a second action versus Pogo sticking back to the search results, clicking another search result, or rerunning the search with a different set of query in order to try to find what they were looking for. So the closer your content aligns with the query intent of your audience, the more likely they are to engage with that content and to generate behavioral signals that support your position, the more likely you are to rank for that. The other piece around the behavioral piece is when you write really strong authoritative content on a topic and you are a brand or you are a high trust source, other websites link to your content, which is also another signal of authority and trustworthiness on topics. So. But everybody knows about link building. We've been talking about links for 20 years. So I think the more important piece is, is the behavioral piece. And the reason that's more important is last year we had an update called the BERT update, which was a natural language processing update in the Google algorithm that does a much better job of identifying the meaning of what you're searching for and the intent behind what you're searching than what they were doing previous to that. So historically, like deep in the way back, we looked at just the keywords that were in your search, like aspirin cost. Then Google started to string together what you were asking. So what's the cost of aspirin? But Google wasn't really able to determine the meaning of all of the words in there, all the entire sentence. And then with the bird update, now they do a much better job of actually identifying that meaning and the 
net net sort of impact is that it appears that Google is serving content to smaller and smaller audiences. So if you have a piece of content that was served to a fairly broad audience, like let's say all rheumatologists, um, Google is now able to sort of figure out the intent of a subset of that audience, query intent, like what are they searching for? What are they actually looking for versus what did they type in? And then serve your content to a smaller subset of that, which means we have to build content that matches or aligns more closely with the intent of smaller and smaller audiences to in increase the probability that our content will actually rank and engage for that particular audience. Yeah, so, so. I have a number of questions. One is just sort of a curious technical question about how they get to the, the update and the natural language programming there's two parts first is there's more and more content generated all the time which strengthens the meaning of certain pieces of uh, certain topics so as we write about a novel target for a drug we introduce the topic to google then we start to collate all of the primary research that supports our position on that topic and the algorithm is actually learning from what we've written and how we've cited other pieces of work so we build a view of a topic that google then consumes and over time that view gets stronger as other players in the market continue to generate content on that and whether it's scholarly work whether it's the advocacy organizations, whether it's the sort of medical education, you know, I don't know, like Medscapes of the world or the Walters Kluwer of the world generating tons of journal articles, those generate more knowledge and more context. And so Google's understanding of topics improves over time. Now, the other part of this is how people interact with the content and the way a large audience interacts with a small topic of content teaches the algorithm quite a lot about the meaning of the content and what is more relevant to this or that. And then of course, there's the final piece, which is there's this curious thing. 15% of all queries typed into Google are absolutely new to Google each year. So Google's never seen that combination of words before. So there's always this fresh thing that's happening where Google has to figure out, well, what does this new query mean, right? So what happens you type in the query, if Google doesn't quite understand it, it gives you a search result that has a variety of different kinds of elements to it. Maybe some scholarly work, maybe some people also asked, maybe a knowledge box, maybe a featured snippet, and then like 10 different kinds of websites. And then it watches to see what people click on. And then over time, the accumulation of clicks starts to reorder what is returned in the search result as Google understands what the nature of that query is. And what is the nature of that query for that audience? So a great example is in pharma websites now, we actually use rich markup EMA that has an audience tag. So we're able in the rich markup to specify that this content is for rheumatologists, dermatologists, uh -huh. nurses, neurologists, 
patients, caregivers, healthcare providers. I mean, it can be pretty broad or it can be super specific because we want to train Google on who this content is for so that we get them because nobody needs lots and lots of clicks if those people don't engage. Right. It's just wasteful, right? It just makes all your stats look terrible and it doesn't actually help your clients, your brand or revenue. So we want to get the right piece of content to the right audience. So there's also another piece of markup we're using, which is, is similar. So if we generate a piece of content, we can actually go out into the market and find other pieces of content that are like it, that already are performing well, and then say, this piece of content is similar to that piece of content. And those are just two ways of training the algorithm. Now, we don't work in sneakers and we're not dealing with Coca-Cola, right? So, or Frito-Lay. Yeah. So we're not dealing with these brands that have giant mass audiences. We're dealing with oncologists, neurologists, dermatologists, rheumatologists, you know, uh, gastroenterologists, right? So our audiences are relatively small and we can have quite a lot of influence over the content that they see based on these techniques. So my other question was honestly around anti-vax sorts of things like how do we overcome because obviously that stuff gets a lot of traffic now it's a different audience and they're built probably differently but is there a way to get better information to a broader population and it, maybe this question isn't even relevant to this specific conversation but it popped into my head because it's obviously hot right now If I could solve this problem, I wouldn't have to do this show. No. <laughs> yeah. But you'd still want to. Seriously, I, have, I, I would because I like you, Chris, and we have great conversation. But in all seriousness, I don't believe that we can influence the behavior of the algorithm at in a way that is meaningful with this topic. This is something that has to be solved by Google and by Facebook, by Instagram, by Reddit by TikTok at the algorithmic level because there are reinforcing mechanisms and self-learning mechanisms within the algorithms that are enabling content that it takes takes advantage of momentum in the market right that we can't change right so you and I talked about like 2 years ago how do we help brands overcome and prepare for the news cycle yeah. If you remember, we were we were like, oh yeah, like brand A has this huge news making event. They launch the content, they trigger the news making event, and then all of a sudden they lose complete control over it. All of the anti-vaxxing stuff and the political stuff has the same viral effect. Like, there's no way for a pharma brand who's a white hat who has to play within the rules to overcome three million people's worth of behavior. The signal is too strong. We can't win there, right? Unless we're super narrow, we spend a ton of money on media and we have a really clear objective. So I, I'm, I really believe that it, Facebook, Google, all of the media outlets have to solve this problem in the long run. And they have a real strong incentive to do it. It's really bad for the world period to have fundamentally bad information circulating and influencing the population. I mean, just think about it. People who don't vaccinate their kids are 
creating a lot of risk. Yeah. I have to be really careful here. Yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> I got you. All right. So let's go back and tell me a little bit more about, so obviously you guys are using markup and that's not something that's just available to you. You guys are just being smart about using it, right? And there are things that if people are creating their own content should be incorporating perhaps that they, yeah, that they so don't really normally oh. think about. Well, I think there's two parts, right? I mean, there's all of the tools that we have that are accessible to all of us. And then there's how do you use the tools, right? So if I'm a plumber, I don't get paid to turn the wrench. I get paid to know which wrench on which pipe, when to turn it and how to turn it, right? right. So in the web, I'm a plumber, right? I mean, Arteric is just a really expensive plumber. So... The, the things that we do that are different that I think are interesting is, first of all, we do two things. We do something called thematic analysis, and then we do uh, content a analytics, right? Thematic analysis is when we take very large sets of search data. We run it through our own machine learning tools in order to identify all of the patterns that exist within a large set of search data to figure out specifically how people are searching. Most agencies only look at the data that comes from AdWords or from SEM Rush or from some keyword planning tool, which is an abstracted representation of what's really happening in the world. It's a simplified representation. So it's like keyword, competitiveness, cost per click, and the volume on it. But that doesn't tell you the specific structure of the sentences and questions and queries that people are actually searching for. And so what we do is our tool actually does that. I mean, we, we aggregate this, you know, like earlier in 2019, we looked at 650, 750,000 searches that AstraZeneca got in order to identify how oncologists were searching for this particular therapy, which I'm not going to mention. And we learned really interesting things about the relationship between the structure of language that oncologists use and then how the brand had been writing their content. So that's the first piece. What is the intent and structure of the way people actually search for your brand and how do they write about it? Then the second piece is something which is content analytics where we wrote a word embedding and co-occurrence analysis engine that will actually go out scrape an arbitrary number of websites or web pages, consume all of that content, build a universe of content, and then give us a mathematical representation of the strength of the relationship between each of the websites and any topic within those websites. And what are the relationships between the topics within those websites? And so essentially what we were trying to do is replicate a small part of the Google algorithm in order to get away from the, this content is sexy sort of perspective on writing content to the mathematical representation of that content. What's the likelihood that any piece of content is going to match the query intent of our audience on a mathematical basis versus on a objective, well, this sort of looks like that. And that tool has been really useful because historically, it was extraordinarily time consuming for us to sit down and say, read all of humira.com or read all of rebraca.com or read all of like a 600 page 
website on a topic. Now we can point our crawler at it, crawl the content, consume the content, and then pick out the meaning within that content and the relative strength between the different websites in that universe. And then we can look at the thematic analysis that comes out of our LGF tool. And then we can start to bridge that gap and decide, well, what do we need to be writing about in order to match the intent of the audience? And I think that's a little bit different because oftentimes our brands used to say, well, we want to write about this thing. So go do the keyword research and figure out where the traffic is. And so that we can just write about what we care about. And what we're suggesting is within the area that you should be right, you want to write about, let's go figure out what your audience cares about first. Yay. Let's go look at what your competitors are writing about. Let's look at the gap and then let's fill that gap with content that is measurably better than what your competitors are doing. And that falls under sort of the moniker of lexical analysis. And we found it to be hugely powerful in generating results uh, for our clients in, you know, both in the disease state education space and in the, in the branded drug space. So it's been really cool. And we started out by doing that just with websites. And then we ran into some topics, particularly in schizophrenia, where there were no disease state education websites. There was nobody to compare to. So then we started feeding in journal articles and scholarly works into it and then extracting the language from those and matching it up against the themes that we saw in search. And then we were building disease state education content that way, which was super exciting as well. So all of this comes down to what you open this thing up with full circle is how do we build content that drives engagement and drives results for our client? How do we build content that's more authoritative on topic and richer and more holistic and fills the gaps in the current content landscape? Yeah, I love that. And honestly, I mean, it's all a little beyond, I understand exactly what you're saying. It's a little beyond my technical <laughs> comprehension, of course, but it, it always comes back to that audience first mentality and you know, who is the audience and what are they looking for? And as you say, what has nobody else covered? What, what space in there can you own? Right. Yeah. Who do we want to talk to? What do we got to say? And when do we need to get it to them? Yeah. So yeah. you pretty much answered Sorry. all Continue. the other questions on my list that I had. So in that little conversation, what, what did I not ask you? Because I don't know enough to ask about. I'll talk about the only thing I get frustrated with is the slowness of pharma sometimes. And in order to take advantage of this stuff, you need to plan for a couple of content updates a year, not just one or two, because if you're only doing one or two content updates a year, you don't have enough opportunity to establish a hypothesis about how your content is going to perform, build and launch that content and then come back to it and enhance it and optimize it to perform better. And it really, you know, the, with the cycle of algorithmic updates from Google with the progression of, of the way uh, the people consume content, I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity to engage on a, in a much richer way. And I think that, you know, I, with the amount of time we spend on a computer now, and particularly like with the fact that 
reps can't go in and educate physicians at this point, right? I mean, there's that's basically dead, right? For the yeah. time being, I mean, yep. we're all converting to telerepping and and whatnot. We need to look at ways to pro- accelerate the content life cycle so that we're able to address unmet needs in our specific audiences faster. And so that means how do we reduce, how do we take some of the cost out of each content cycle so that we can do more content cycles? And how do we do a better job measuring the performance of each content cycle so that we can go back to management and leadership and get more money to do well, more content. Right. <laughs> yeah. This so. fits yeah, really well with <clears throat> last week's guest who is a common friend of yours and mine, Frank Dolan, where we talked a little bit about, mm-hmm. you know, the need to accelerate and be more innovative in not how we develop products, but how we bring them to market and and how we do things in this industry. And, you know, it goes beyond pharma, it goes all the way down to all the basic research in life science and how hard it is to create content at a reasonable pace and optimize it. It's usually, you know, get it done, get it out, move on. Right. And yeah. yeah, So this has been really, really inspiring and helpful and educational as always. So Hans Casper said, thank you so much. I'm going to put a link of course to Arteric in the show notes, anywhere else I should link any other resources you want to point at? No, just Arteric.com. I think that's, I mean, we're all over the place at this point, trying to generate content and generate ideas. I mean, ultimately, I we want to change the way brands bring content to market because I think that brand reputation is tied directly to the value that they deliver beyond the product. So, you know, that's everybody from medical device companies all the way through to pharma companies to health delivery networks. Our, our audience, audiences, right, are looking for content that's tailored to them. And I think, you know, we have a lot of opportunity to achieve that today. And, and I think, you know, your show and, and, and the ideas you bring forth here go a long way to making that a reality. So thanks for the time. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I think that's very true. I think I hope people are starting to recognize that a brand can make the world a better place even before someone buys your product and that's you know and it's good for you too so all right hans thank you so much thanks chris see you next year yeah hey if that data-driven approach to content authority sounds like it might be helpful you should definitely ask hans for a demo it will be worthwhile i'm sure i promise you you're going to learn something fascinating regardless and uh Don't forget, I would love to meet you, talk to you, reconnect with you at a curated cocktail party. Email me, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com or message me on LinkedIn. And you know what comes next. Say it with me. If you like the show, there are two people that you know that would also like the show. Please tell them about it. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Bye-bye.